Welcome to Never Again Is Now, a podcast about anti-Semitism. I am Phyllis Zimbler-Miller, founder of the free nonfiction Holocaust theater project, ThinEdgeOfTheWedge.com. I grew up in a small town, Elgin, Illinois, in the Midwest with a small Jewish community. My grandparents had come at the turn of the 20th century from Latvia in Russia. My US Army officer husband and I were stationed in Munich, Germany, only 25 years after the end of World War II. This podcast is in partnership with Evelyn Marcus, a Dutch Jew and the daughter of Holocaust survivors who is featured in the documentary, Never Again Is Now. A psychologist, she came, she immigrated to the United States in 2006 because of the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe. Our guest for today is Natan Pakman, and he's going to tell you a little about himself. Great, thank you, Phyllis, and uh, so happy to be here uh, with this podcast. Um, so my name is Natan Pakman, as you said. Uh, I work for uh, ADL Los Angeles. Uh, I'm a senior associate regional director uh, here in the LA office. Uh, and I should say that uh, I guess first, you know, I was born in Argentina uh, to an Argentinian Jewish family. Uh, we moved to the US to Massachusetts actually um, when I was three years old. Uh, so I grew up there, um, you know, went to school actually at uh, the University of Massachusetts. Then I lived uh, in Los Angeles, where I live now. Then I actually went to Israel, and I lived in Israel for a year uh, doing a master's in Middle Eastern history. Um, then I came back and, and got a job at ADL, actually, in the Chicago office, and then came here to LA and now work for the ADL here in Los Angeles. So that's kind of my, my journey here. Can you tell us a little bit about your responsibility at ADL before we talk about you personally? So what does that title mean? What do you have to do? Absolutely. So I'm on the um, regional team here in LA. So we're a national organization. The headquarters are in New York. There are 25 offices around the country. Uh, we have, you know, at least what, two offices now in Europe and one in Israel uh, based in Jerusalem. But basically, you know, what I do is I work with my regional colleagues in implementing the programming and the incident response uh, that ADL provides in the LA region. And our office actually handles LA County and actually three neighboring counties. And there are four other offices in California. So we have a wide range of uh, resources that we provide to the communities, even just here in California. But what I do uh, in my work, um, you know, firstly, I should mention most relevant to our conversation is I run a training program for Jewish youth, and it's really middle school, high school, and college age Jewish students, uh, and also adults uh, in certain circumstances, in how to respond to anti Semitism. So it's a program we run called Words to Action that we've been doing in various forms for many decades. And you know, hopefully we can talk a little bit more about how that works later in terms of how to respond to anti-Semitism. Um, other areas that I work in are media, you know, responding to, uh, you know, uh, doing interviewing, in my case, in Spanish because of my language skills and sort of working with my colleagues in uh, media appearances, doing international affairs work. So working with the diplomatic core here in Los Angeles. We actually have the second highest number of, of diplomats uh, in the country here in LA. So, um, so we do a lot of work with them, including with the Israeli consulate and other consulates, um, and really uh, responding to community incidents. So, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but there's been a rise in anti-Semitic incidents, even just in the last two months uh, during the tensions between Israel and Hamas uh, in the Middle East. 
here in LA. And we have been very active and we're, whenever there's a community incident, we respond appropriately, sometimes behind the scenes, sometimes in a more public way, uh, working with the victims, with institutions, if it's institutions that have been the victims, with law enforcement, we have very close relationships with LAPD and the Sheriff's Department and other uh, law enforcement in our region. So, you know, it's kind of a, a wide portfolio, but basically in a nutshell, we respond to uh, anti-Semitism and all forms of hate in the LA area. That's a big portfolio. And let's go personally now. Have you personally experienced any anti-Semitic comments or incidents? I'm not talking about major things, just things that have made you feel uncomfortable. And then particularly since you're trained others, what did you say when these things happened? You know, that's a really good question because I can tell you that, yes, I, I heard anti-Semitic comments and jokes growing up on many occasions. Um, and this is in, in Western Massachusetts in my case, but my experience was not really that different than uh, many of the people I've now worked with in this role nationally. Um, but, you know, I, I did not speak up in most of these situations. And that's something that I hope we get to later about the importance of speaking up. I can tell you to give you a couple anecdotes, you know, this might sound strange, but the first time I actually heard about the Holocaust. Oh, that's one of my future was, questions. Good. Okay. You know, the, the first time I heard about it, and this is actually something I, I only thought about in thinking about this interview, is um, was actually when someone was making a joke about it in elementary school. And so I don't want to repeat what the joke was, but it was a joke about burning Jews, right? And I remember not knowing uh, what the reference was, but knowing that the person was referring to my group, to the group I belonged to. And I remember just kind of going home and, and asking my parents to explain it. And they didn't fully explain what the Holocaust was at that age. I was only like seven or eight. But, um, but that, it was interesting to, to have that be my, my nexus sort of to this traumatic history or traumatic historical event. Uh, was actually in the form of an anti-Semitic joke. And I can tell you with total certainty that I know the person who made this comment to me, and I don't think he said it with ill intent. He probably heard it from a family member or a friend and was just kind of repeating it as a joke. That doesn't excuse it in any way. Um, and then there were other sort of things in middle school and high school, and even you know since then, of comments made about Jews being cheap or Jews being greedy, or you know, a comments made about make sure you're not you don't you don't you're not a Jew when the deli pizza delivery guy comes, so you make sure you tip him. Don't be a Jew, you know that kind of in passing remark that uh, friends of friends or you know acquaintances might have made, and I might have overheard. And the interesting thing, uh, the the problematic thing, and the thing that makes anti-Semitism here in the U.S. a little bit different. I think, than other forms of hate, is that most often, but not always, uh, people don't know if you're Jewish, especially if you're not wearing clothes or jewelry that identifies you as Jewish, right? And so it's very, we have this odd experience where people make comments about us and about Jews, and they don't know that we're members of the group, which is a very different kind of scenario to someone identifying you as part of a group because you're wearing a uh, garb related to a religious group or an ethnic group, or they make assumptions based on your skin color or facial features. So I think that's something that in the Jewish community is very common for us to kind of have experienced that people uh, are making comments about us, about our group in front of us without realizing that we are members of the group. 
Yes, I, and that's something very important. I've just written something about that in a blog post because people think that we're white and they don't, and, and what that means to them. And therefore they can say things about Jews and that we will, as the listener, go along with it. So if you didn't know what to say when you were younger, could you give us some examples of what you would say now to those things? Because one of the goals of this podcast is to encourage people to speak up but speak up in a calm way, not angry, but in a way to educate. So please share some of those things. Absolutely. I mean, it's really one of the crucial questions, right? And, and I'll say also that a lot of the things that I'm about to say really apply to, to any bigoted comment, really applying to any Good. group. And so, and so in that sense, people can also feel free to use some of these strategies when they're hearing something being said about another group. Right. Um, but I'll say that, you know, first of all, I just want to make clear that I personally and ADL as an organization would always recommend taking into account the context in which something is happening. So, of course, if you feel like your safety is being threatened in any way in a situation, right, you know, certainly we're not going to suggest that you under any circumstance speak out if it's going to put you at risk, right? So that's kind of, first of all, you know, take stock of the situation and the context. Uh, the second thing would be, you know, who do you want to be the, the listener here? Are you trying to reach the aggressor, the person making a, the problematic comments? And or are you trying to reach the bystanders? And, I'll, and we can make a distinction here also between in-person events and you know, social media, where sometimes you have dozens or hundreds or thousands of people looking at a, at a Twitter thread or a Facebook thread or a Snapchat. So um, I think there are a few things that you can do. Um, first of all, in an interpersonal situation, in person, right? One of the strategies that, that we often recommend is to simply ask a question. And you know, you'd be surprised by how effective this can be. Simply asking someone, you know, what do you mean by that? Somebody makes a comment about uh, about Jews, right? About Jews being cheap or Jews being greedy, or you know, the government being run by Jews, or Hollywood being controlled by Jews, or any of a number of stereotypical things that have been said for a long time about the Jewish people. And if you just kind of take a moment and say, well, what, do you, what exactly do you mean by that? You, first of all, you allow yourself a moment to get your bearings, right? Oh, that's good. You, you, you create a, a little space there of time. And also you, you force the person who made the comment to really explain what they meant. And sometimes a person who made a comment like that will think twice about what they just said and say, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure, you know, or, or they might actually say something even more problematic. Right. But this can also be a model to the bystanders that are there who see that you're not just letting a comment go, that you're actually speaking out, interrupting the flow. Um, I know that sounds very simple, but these kinds of little comments, and I'll get to an, a few others in a second, can be very effective and can also allow you a few moments to not react as emotionally. That's the other thing. You know, sometimes in the heat of the moment, we'll say things that we then regret. So just to kind of, you know, what, what exactly do you mean by that? What, this comment that you just made. Another thing you can do specifically in reference to stereotypes about Jews is, you know, kind of make it personal. So if somebody makes a comment about the Jewish people or the Jews. They say, you know, the Jews are all like this. You know, you can say, well, are you talking about Jews or are you talking about someone in particular you met? 
someone in particular that you're thinking of, right? To get the person and everyone around them to kind of question whether this is a fair statement. Now, the opposite is a similar attack. You can, you can make it general. If a person uh, makes a general comment, you can say, well, I think a lot of other groups have, a, have people that are like that. A situation from my own life that, that happened this way is that somebody uh, told me about a landlord who they said was greedy in some way, right? And they, they mentioned that the landlord was Jewish and then they actually told me that, and they knew, this person knew I was Jewish, right? And they said, you know, I've noticed this from a lot of Jews, that a lot of Jews, Jewish landlords behave this way, that they don't want to make, they don't want to make repairs in the house. They don't want to spend money on maintaining it. You know, I just find that they're kind of like greedy. And of course, I know the origin of this stereotype and it's very problematic. But one of the things you can say is, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of different people from a lot of different groups that are greedy, right? You know, the difference is that, um, when you have a person from another faith group or another ethnic group that happens to be greedy, it's a person who is greedy that happens to be a member of the other faith or ethnic group. But when it's a Jewish person, the person ascribes their greediness to their Jewishness. They say the reason why they're greedy, the reason why they're cheap, whatever it is, is because they're Jewish. So this is another way that you can go about it. Um, the last point I'll make is that you can just make it clear how offensive it is. Just to say to someone, it can be very powerful, especially if it's a friend, right? You know, you don't have to say these things to a stranger in line at the supermarket necessarily. But if you have a close friend who's making a comment or a joke and you find it offensive, you can say, look, I really find that offensive. Like, that's offensive to me. And that could maybe start a conversation. So to sum it all up, I think that these are things that you can say in the moment. And I think you should always take into account how well you know the person, whether you feel safe in the context, and whether you want to stop a conversation right then, in which case you can maybe say something like, well, let's not even go there. I don't even want to talk about this. Or you can start a conversation. And these ways that I just mentioned are ways of kind of starting a longer conversation that in the best case scenario may result in the person rethinking what they said and thinking twice about the next time they say it, you know? And the only other thing to bridge to maybe, you know, what may be your next question, I don't want to get ahead of it, is, you know, these are things you can say in the moment. There are other situations in our lives where it's not something where you need to respond in the moment, right? So for example, if you receive an email, we get reports at ADL often of people receiving emails at universities or at their place of work that contain uh, something problematic, something anti-Semitic or something hateful targeting another group, and they want to know how to respond. Now, that's not something that you respond in the moment, right? It's a dis, uh, discontinuous uh, thing that happens. So that requires more strategy, and we can get into some of the things that you do, but these are some strategies for doing something while it's happening, you know? Which is the time that we most freeze or get angry because it's happening in the moment. And let's just insert uh, something for one minute now. The ADL website allows reports of anti-Semitism. Could you explain that and, and what constitutes, and then we'll go back to how we deal with it in person. Sure, you know, one of the things that we always encourage people to do, and one of the main things that we want to impart is the importance of reporting. So beyond just speaking up, if you experience something yourself, reporting anything you see that's suspicious, right? If you see something, say something. And say something means reporting it, whether it's to ADL, um, 
through our incident reporting system to law enforcement, right? If you're at a school, to the school authorities, to a teacher, to a principal, right? In some cases, even higher up. Um, this is crucial. Now, I will say that it's not just important in terms of building awareness inside communities. It's also important in terms of getting a response from authorities in the sense that, you know, uh, the local police forces and the FBI track hate crimes. And not everything that we're talking about is a hate crime. It's, there are also hate incidents, right? So a, a hate crime is when something rises to the level of a crime and the motivation is that of targeting specific groups. But someone waiting in line in a movie theater and make and you overhearing, uh, in this case, an anti-Semitic comment is certainly a hate incident. It's not a hate crime. It's not a crime to just be in, in line in a movie theater and, and making a bad comment. So whether it's a crime or an incident, reporting is crucial. Now, when it is a crime, there is a secondary level of importance to it because these get fed into statistics that are reported on an annual basis. ADL has an annual audit of anti-Semitic incidents that includes incidents and crimes. And the FBI and LA County here locally have annual reports that uh, give hard numbers on the hate crimes targeting each community. And this is crucial in knowing what the threat is, where it's coming from, which neighborhoods it's happening in, uh, what are the contexts, the locations, and this helps inform public policy. So reporting can be useful not only to the victim in order to get assistance, but also towards informing organizations like ADL and the government in terms of responding to the rise in hate crimes. I see, so now I have a stumper for you, maybe. A couple of years ago, before the lockdown, my adult daughter and I went to a uh, panel discussion hosted by the Writers Guild Foundation at the Writers Guild Theater, uh, quite close to where I live. And uh, they were Latinos, uh, actors and writers from the Hollywood community. And it is the first time that I can remember that I have heard strongly anti-Semitic comments from the stage. And both my daughter and I were horrified. I mean, it wasn't that I thought it and convinced her, we were both horrified. And I had nothing, to, I mean, should I have then done a report? I mean, I was, I might've written to the Writers Guild Foundation, which I doubt, well, I don't wanna disparage anyone. I might, if I don't remember. What should I have done after? I mean, there wasn't a way I don't think here, okay, this is, the thing is, in one case, both cases, I don't think they realized how anti-Semitic they were being. That was the other thing. So how do you report that? What do you do with that besides being horrified? Right. Well, first of all, if you're comfortable sharing it, could you share, you know, what, one of uh, the examples of what was said? Yes, I'm, especially because you do speak to the, the uh, speak Spanish. So an actress, and I won't name her because not only can I not remember, but I didn't recognize that she, who she was. But she was talking about she's had a close Jewish friend for many years. And her uh, friends in the Latino community say to her, why do you have a Jew as a friend? And I was horrified. I was horrified that, but her answer was, it wasn't, her answer was, well, he's been her friend for a long time. Not realizing in a way that she was perpetuating 
that they would think that. And then someone else, do you remember that TV show that was based on King David, believe it or not? And I, it was very short-lived. It was a TV series and I forget its name, but someone was a writer on it and a Latina was a writer on it. And he com complained about the producers. Perhaps it's better I don't name the show in a way that was clearly anti-Semitic. And since I knew who the producers were and I knew that they uh, had Israeli backgrounds and what they probably brought to the story in terms of Jews being persecuted, I was just astounded. And he went on and on and they only cared about whatever. I don't, that I don't remember. But, what, but those were the two things. And they thought that this was appropriate. They didn't talk about any other groups in that way, as I recall. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, so first of all, just to go back to what we said before about doing something in the moment, you know, if there had been a, I don't know if there was like a Q&A moment, if in a situation like that, where it's kind of like a, say a panel discussion, and you can ask a question or address something, you know, if you had felt comfortable and not all of us will feel comfortable going up in front of a crowd and calling someone on the stage out, you know, so it's not like you have to do something, but that is something that if someone feels comfortable, they can do that. They can say, hey, look, you said this earlier and I think this is a problem. You know, I find this offensive for this reason. Uh, that's one thing that someone could do in a situation like that. Now, above and beyond that, yes, that's the kind of thing that, of course, we want to encourage reporting. It's not always the case that ADL or another group or law enforcement can do something. You know, in that case, certainly it's, it's not going to be a crime to have made a comment like that in all likelihood. But, uh, but in terms of what you can do, you know, sometimes you can be strategic about it. You can, you can email or call someone who organized that event. Um, you, usually there's someone who is listed as the person to contact, right, for these events. And they may or may not take it seriously. And depending on that, you can then kind of go up the chain. Unfortunately, you know, I, I think kind of the elephant in the room sometimes with the issue of anti-Semitism is that it's not taken seriously uh, in a lot of contexts. And this is something that we continually face at ADL. And, and I should point out that you know, we're nonpartisan officially, and we do not support or oppose political candidates. We don't, we look at anti-Semitism from wherever on the political spectrum it comes. But we often see that, um, that we do have a, a resistance, you know, and we, we've been seeing this more recently in some progressive spaces. And we see this on college campuses a lot with progressive Jewish students who want to get involved in, say, progressive human rights oriented causes, that they feel excluded from the conversation and they feel like, for example, the history of anti-Semitism is excluded from those conversations in part for what you mentioned earlier, which is kind of this idea that American Jews are, are white and privileged and, and are not part of the group of people who sort of qualify as oppressed groups. That's kind of one thing. And then the other thing is sort of the, the nexus and that sort of blurry line between you know, anti-Zionism and anti-Israel bias and anti-Semitism that there are many different opinions on. You know, at ADL, we have a, quite a nuanced opinion of, of these distinctions. Um, but I will say that it is something that we often 
see. And, and we see it often from young people and, and people who are in these kind of progressive spaces. So, you know, this, I don't know if that's exactly what happened in, in this case, but it sounds like it was a somewhat diverse panel and, and there was kind of um, uh, an ease with which people were kind of referencing the Jewish community in a way that may have been offensive. And so we, that is something that we recognize and it's not always easy to deal with, but one of the things that we always stress on the behind the scenes side is education. So there may have been an opportunity to reach out you know, to the Writers Guild or to whoever the organizer was to say, hey, like this, this was a real problem. Would you be open to having ADL or another group come in and talk to the organizers, you know, about what happened here, something like that. That's the kind of thing we sometimes try to offer in these situations. I would just share very quickly with you because this is really your time. So I did reach out to someone who was in charge of a, a Jewish organizations. I can't even remember which, and I would probably not name it anyway. She is in charge of the, the, uh, the communication between Spanish speaking uh, audiences. And I said, you know, I'd really like to help you do something in Hollywood. We, you know, we have a real problem here. And her answer was, and, and maybe you can tell me how you felt. She said, well, you know, we had a meeting at a very top entertainment producer's uh, house. And, you know, we talked to top leaders in the entertainment community. And all I could think of is that's not who you need to speak to. You need to speak at the level of the writers in the writer's room and the dramas and the comedy shows because those are the people who write anti-Semitic things frequently without knowing. And, you know, I did offer my services, but, you know, she wanted to talk to that level and she was very proud. And I don't know how she could think that those people even, in most cases, I'm not talking very many, even have any idea what the scripts in their shows say. So, I find it very frustrating as just a person on the street, how to deal with that kind of anti-Semitism. Yeah, I mean, there's no question that it's incredibly challenging. That's the space that we're in, right? This, where it's not always clear how to address it. One thing I will say that we haven't said so far is, you know, to your point about the, the writers and, you know, the producers and the people who are kind of crafting content, you know, in this case, we're talking about the entertainment industry, but, you know, anti-Semitism is a, is a long-standing problem in society. And it, it's no surprise to us, of course, that, um, that it exists in all, in all industries, right? The difference in this case, to your point, is that they have a megaphone. Exactly. Right? Which is the same uh, issue we have when uh, anti-Semitism and all forms of hate rear their head in the political sphere. We have people with big megaphones, right? So um, that one thing I will say is that even though anti-Semitism and other forms of hate all have unique aspects to them, right? Each form of hate is different in specific ways. It, there is tremendous value, and this is something that ADL believes in, in doing anti-bias, what we call anti-bias education more generally. And education and sort of trying to change these attitudes that really children learn pretty early in life. We know from studies that even before the age of five, children are already starting to incorporate stereotypes about ethnic and religious and national groups, uh, even before they're aware of it, right? Um, that, that has tremendous value. And so when we look at 
a problem like this, we always look at it at every level of it. So uh, yes, we need to respond to incidents. Absolutely. It needs to be reported. We need to provide this information to those that are uh, writing about it and producing reports about it and informing public policy. But we also need to go back to step one and start with education. And that's a big focus of ADL's work as well, sort of educating uh, kids, teachers, school administrators, because this is really where uh, these ideas are learned through peers, through parents at home, in school, in those years, right, uh, of life. So, so I think that there's no easy answer to this, but we try to attack this from all of these angles, from the advocacy standpoint, from the investigational standpoint, right, of looking into these and researching, and from the education standpoint. And that's kind of are three prongs, uh, but there are no easy answers. And I'm sorry that I don't have the magic bullet, but if we had the magic bullet, we wouldn't still exist after a hundred years, right? And so um, so that's kind of where we are, but we, we keep fighting the good fight. This has been very informative, really. I appreciate it so much, Matan. Do you have anything that you think that we've missed that's really important that you'd like to add? Uh, I, you know, the only thing that I think would be nice to add is that uh, I would encourage anyone who's who's watching or listening to get involved in some way. You know that that can be as simple as uh, deciding to be a little bit more outspoken, either in person or on social media, uh, when you see something that you think is problematic. Right? Um, whether that be get involved at the organizational or political levels. You know, to get involved in your community, to get involved, whether it's ADL or another group. Right. Um, there's nothing like turning the the anger and the frustration that people feel over the state of affairs into concrete action. And that's really what we want to encourage at ADL. Yes. And that's what our podcast wants to encourage. So I thank you so much for coming to speak with us. I think that those of you who are listening, do check out Evelyn Marcus's powerful documentary, Never Again Is Now. You can find it at joinneveragainisnow.com and check out my Holocaust theater project for educating young people with additional resources at thingedgethewedge.com and whenever you can, speak up against anti-Semitism and hate. Thank you, Phyllis.